Hello, welcome to Creative Confessionals. This is Amal Awad. I am an author, screenwriter, occasionally I'm a performer. And in this podcast, I talk about all things creative, my path, my personal path, but also the path of many creatives, the struggles and obstacles that we face and the good things, the the tasks that we fulfill, the goals that we reach and how we get there. In today's episode, I wanted to continue along the book path. It seems like those episodes have really, uh, I guess, gotten some traction, interestingly enough, especially in the US. Hello to all my US listeners. I don't know how you found me, but it turns out a lot of you are listening from the US. And I've already talked about how you pitch a book. I've also talked about what to expect in the actual process of publishing a book. And I realized that it's probably a bit out of order, but I should actually talk about how you write a book. That sounds like a lot, and I know it is, and it's probably too much for one episode. But what I thought I would do is give you a bit of a taster in terms of fiction versus nonfiction, especially given that I have written both and I have uh, various experiences that I think might be useful, hopefully, for anyone who's contemplating a path where they are writing a book and they're not sure if they want to do a fiction version of real life events or if they actually want to document real life through a non-fiction narrative. But before I do that, I want to talk about my card deck, The Creative's Compass. I pulled out a card, as I said, I always would. And interestingly enough, the card I pulled out was Creative Action. You have to start in order to finish. You can't flow without movement. And I thought that was quite apt given today's episode because one of the biggest problems that people face when writing books is it feels too big. It just feels overwhelming. It's daunting. I think I very openly documented my own struggles with getting started in a previous episode where I talked about being a bit emotional, trying to get started on Beyond Valt Clichés and feeling a bit overwhelmed by the task ahead. And that's completely normal. So what I want to do is first talk about nonfiction. I have written three nonfiction books that have been published by major publishers in Australia And I also published, self-published a collection of essays called The Incidental Muslim. The nonfiction books were interesting experiences because I had very specific pitches that I gave to the publishers and I thought that I would divert from them quite a lot, but it turns out that I didn't. I think that I ended up covering everything that I thought I would. But what I wanted to do was go through a couple of examples of how I approached writing the books. So if we take Fridays with My Folks, Stories on Aging, Illness and Life, this is a book that I wrote about aging and illness in Australia, but really with a global viewpoint as well, because growing old has its universal aspects no matter where you are in the world. And I had a pitch document that sort of looked at various aspects of of growing old, of how it affects carers and family and people around them. And it was always going to be a structural challenge. Even when I spoke to my publisher at the time, I remember having discussions about how do I approach this? There's so much to cover and how do I weave in my stories and other people's stories? With Beyond Valid Clichés, I had the personal narrative, but I also had interviews And really what I did in Beyond Valid Clichés was I kind of wrote introductory sections uh, that involved my personal life. So, for example, the trauma of identity in Beyond Valid Clichés, 
I I talked about the Middle East uh, because I was there, but I I then went into a, a section called my parents' daughter, and that was where I talked about my own experiences growing up in Australia as an Arab woman, uh, as an Arab female, <laughs> and. This was a bit different to what I did with Fridays with my folks. Fridays with my folks, I had all these reflections that I had been writing because it's it's literally named after what I was doing at the time. I was spending Fridays with my folks. And I remember using Evernote, which I've talked about before, as a really handy little tool that I use to write things when I'm on the go. Uh, I was just writing these very sort of reflective poetic, I guess, uh, sections about how I was feeling, about observation I was observations I was making about my parents, how our relationship was changing, and all of that sort of thing. And I actually realized when I sat down to write the book that I had like 20 pages of these reflections. And I thought, well, this is actually quite interesting because that's my personal narrative. And what I ended up doing was weaving those into the chapters by sort of opening up with certain reflections here and there with a Friday. This is what happened on the Friday. And then I would then go to other people's stories. So I, for example, I'm just flipping through the book, so I'm, <laughs> it's not me zoning out here. In the chapter in Fridays with my folks called Stories from Fellow Travellers, I have a Friday section and I say, on Fridays, I become a collector of memories, a story keeper. These wandering conversations, like excavations, shift things in all of us. And then I go on to talk about my parents and their experiences. So what's really interesting there is that it was a different approach to including my personal narrative to how I did it in Beyond Valid Clichés. In Beyond Valid Clichés, it was more essay-like. It was more of a confessional piece in some places. Fridays with my folks, it was shorter, sometimes sweeter, a little bit bit more reflective and earnest, and I guess me really trying to unpack things and understand them. And, you know, it was quite vulnerable in that sense. Within my past life, I was Cleopatra, which is my most recent nonfiction book, A Skeptical Believer's Journey Through the New Age, I had the same struggle. It was a structural nightmare. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. It was one of those books where I I just really felt like it wanted to be written, but it wasn't making it easy on me. Whatever the spirit of a book is, it was giving me a very hard time. Let's just put it that way. And I remember just struggling so many times to figure out how much of myself to include in the book and where and how and you know there were these stories that were quite humorous but at the same time I had my journalist hat on in a lot of ways and I had these in-depth interviews and I had a lot of research behind me that I needed to incorporate so it was it was sort of this struggle of how do I make sure this isn't just a series of comical situations where you know a psychic told me something really funny and I'm I'm showing you what it was like to be healed to receive a karmic healing with massive crystals, for example. I wanted those stories in there, but I didn't want them to sort of eclipse the book either because I, I felt like they had value, but that wasn't the purpose of the book. It wasn't to take the Mickey out of New Age completely. It was to understand it better and try to place my own experiences in spiritual practice and the New Age. And what I ended up doing was having a similar approach where I had some some stories here and there and then I would 
branch out into a wider discussion of whatever that chapter dealt with. But in some cases, I just wove in my own experiences. So the divination chapter, for example, you know, is very heavily focused on my own experiences because it's something I'm so passionate about. I'm so fascinated by divination and tarot cards and coffee cup readings. You know, the Arab in me loves that stuff. So it was it was just a slightly different approach, I suppose, to how I did Beyond Veil Clichés and Fridays with My Folks. But all three books had something similar. They all had the personal narrative and then they all branched out into a wider narrative that complemented mine or sort of um, met mine in some way that mattered and offered a wider perspective. Now, that's not by any means the only way you write nonfiction. I'm just giving you the example of how I approached it. Now, I, I picked three areas of life that mattered to me and I wanted to make sure that I was in there, but I also wanted to make sure that my stories were relevant, that they had universal value. And that's when all of my research and my interviews came in and the pitch document became very important because I had to to go back to that and make sure that I was hitting the base notes, the things that, that really mattered in what I was doing. So one of the things you have to be prepared for with nonfiction is think about the kind of book you're writing and absolutely reference in terms of your own research process books that you like and think you might write sort of similar to. So, for example, I hadn't really seen books written the way I had written mine. And so it doesn't mean they don't exist. I just mean that I really did approach it in a way where I it was this strange mix of memoir and journalism. And I think there are quite a few books that are like that, but they tend to sway more towards memoir, whereas mine was much more about, hey, I have a personal stake in this or a personal interest in this, and this is why I'm following up on it and I'm, I'm going out and I'm doing the research. So with nonfiction, do your research, figure out your style. You know, are you writing a book that's a confessional? Are you writing something that is more instructional and educational for people? Is it both? And I think... You know, the best books do have value for people who read it. They they should finish a book, hopefully, and and maybe not be transformed necessarily, but have a, a better perspective on something or a better understanding. And so, you know, when you write nonfiction, you are really – the stakes I always say are high with nonfiction because you have to be really accurate and you have to be very careful and you are doing painstaking research and you are interviewing people and you're transcribing interviews or you're paying someone to transcribe your interviews. Now, when I wrote Beyond Valve Clichés, the transcription software wasn't that great. <laughs> so I had to transcribe myself or pay for transcriptions. So I spent a lot of money on transcriptions because I just didn't have time. I had done about 80 interviews. I am someone who really doesn't like to rely on notes. I like to hear back what a person said. And I might have to dive into my notes occasionally because the transcription doesn't seem quite right or I can't quite get what they were saying when I listen back. But I generally think transcribing an interview yourself is the best way to find your story. So if you are interviewing people for a book, um, try to keep your interviews manageable. Where I found it hard was when I had very long in-depth interviews with people and I had to go back and listen to them and it just think about so if you if you do an interview that's one hour if you're not a strong 
typist, if you're not good at transcription, you're going to be spending hours transcribing that. Transcription, though, it's a great way to get the mood right as well. So one of the big problems with nonfiction is I think people underestimate how much you have to do with it. It's that I've done an interview and it's enough. It's not. You have to build a mood. You have to set the scene just like it's fiction. Fiction is storytelling and so is nonfiction. At the end of the day, you are still telling a story. You are still entertaining people in some way. You are still trying to get them on board with what you're telling them and at least setting the scene for them. What was the what was the sky like that day? What's the person's manner? If you don't listen back to your transcription, sometimes you will lose that. You should. That's where my notes come in handy, to be honest. I, I pick up on certain things about my interviewees. For example, I remember there was one interview I did for Fridays with my folks. And it was one of those unfortunate occasions where it was like pulling teeth, trying to get anything out of the person I was interviewing. He was lovely, but he just, he looked like he wanted to be anywhere but there. And I really felt for him and I understood it. And I didn't, I didn't take it personally. I didn't hold it against him, but it was making my job a lot harder. However, I, I, it was quite funny because I, that for me was part of the story. I absolutely saw his discomfort and it, it was really relevant to why I was there because this was a person who had to change his life in retirement and he wasn't quite ready for that. He had a lot going on. The funny thing is when I was ready to pack up and go, he suddenly just switched and said, well, do you want to see some photos? And it just needed that little bit of time for him to feel comfortable enough with me. I'm not a, a nosy reporter, like that's not my style. And so I think I will probably... I, I, I'm one of those people probably who will walk away from something before I push someone. I, I'm just not that type of person. And luckily he decided that he wanted to open up to me. And so he went inside and got some photos and came out and it just changed everything. He suddenly brightened up. He spoke more openly. You know, the candor was there. It was, it was a huge shift and I was very lucky. That's your gold when it comes to an interview, a person going from reluctance to engaged and interested and realizing that they have something to impart, that there's something that they want to tell you. And, you know, it's very personal when you're sitting with a person and you're asking them to to share their life with you. It's, it's quite difficult for people to do that sometimes. And I completely understand that. But I'm also sharing myself in these stories. So I, I kind of look for people who have that same openness to being vulnerable and sharing. Um, so listening back to the transcription, though, like it was really interesting because I could hear his hesitation. And these were like beautiful little colors that I could add. You know, this, this is your palette, you know, and you're painting with all these colors when you're interviewing people for nonfiction. Nonfiction is one of those areas that I find it incredibly fascinating and difficult and frustrating to write because it's so you know it's so important because you're dealing with real stories but at the same time it can be quite frustrating because you're dealing with real stories <laughs> i'll get onto the joys of fiction shortly but with non-fiction that would that would be something i would really tell you you have to be aware of that you know when you do your research if you're interviewing people make sure they're people that you know, want to be interviewed. And if they don't, find out why. Find out how you can make them more comfortable because it's very important to the process of of writing your nonfiction stories. So what have we covered so far? Nonfiction, how do you want to write it? Is it a book of essays? Is it memoir? Is it memoir journalism? Is it, a, you know, like a 
combination of those things is it pure journalism for example and if if you're listening and you're someone writing a pure journalism book you probably don't need my help but if you do reach out to me I'm more than happy to answer any questions I would say if your books are journalistic in nature and you are interviewing people and you are relying heavily on facts and it's not conjecture then you really do just have to cover your bases make sure that you're getting permission slips signed basically releases I just created my own where I made sure that the person I was interviewing understood that this was being recorded. That's another thing. Always tell people when you're hitting record so that they know. Like they would then fill out the form and sign it. Occasionally I had people who would only interview if they could see their interview in terms of what it would look like in the final book. I don't like doing that. Not because I I think it's wrong for people to want to see it. It's just that without fail people will be very harsh on themselves and critique what they've said and start to want to change everything. And there's something quite beautiful about the natural way people speak and written, written words are very different to spoken words. However, one of the ways of getting around that is to say, okay, I'm happy for you to do that. The only thing I ask is that you please only correct inaccurate information where maybe I have misunderstood you or perhaps you said something that you don't feel is quite right now in hindsight and generally people are quite respectful of that and occasionally they'll still want to change wording and I don't make a fuss it's it really just depends on on what it is if I feel like it's really going to affect the story then I might talk to them about it and say you know why do you want to change that is it okay to have this it's not a big deal though a lot of the stuff that people want to change it's not a big deal but get those releases signed. And if they want to see their information, make sure you make a note of that. Sometimes people want to be anonymous. They want a different name, a pseudonym. Make a note of that as well, because believe me, you will not remember. When you're interviewing tens of people, you are going to forget (laughs) that somebody said, I don't want my real name used. Please use the name, whatever. So just be meticulous. Keep notes of everything. I once posted on Facebook, and at the moment my writer's page is deactivated, but I posted a photo of what my work looked like, like, you know, not as a book. So basically all the journals filled with interview notes and the research and the color-coded system and all this sort of stuff. Because Fridays with my folks, for example, what a nightmare. I had to like color code it because I couldn't figure out sometimes what the issue was. Is this is this aging or is this trauma or is this uh, psychology or whatever? (laughs) So that was a whole other thing. So cataloging your work is very important as well. Having a system in place with Cleopatra, you know what I did? I actually just cut things up. I literally cut up pieces of paper and had them stuffed in different envelopes because I had so I'd written so many things in Evernote and I had an even harder time trying to figure out what they were like is this this section or that section is it both what do I do total nightmare so don't write nonfiction actually just don't (laughs) just why why write nonfiction I'm kidding if you really want to write nonfiction write it and what I would say as well is if you really want to like get better at writing nonfiction, practice, 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 write confessionals, submit to journals, to online magazines, whatever. That's the best way you can find out what your voice is and find out what your style is and what you're good at and what you enjoy. Because if you're not enjoying it, don't do it. It's a hard road. And I would say it's really important to feel in alignment with what you're doing. 
you know, even in the hardest moments, I, I did feel at least that I was doing what I was meant to be doing, if that makes sense. Would I write a nonfiction in a rush right now? Probably not. It's it's really not easy. I, I, I'm not going to downplay that because nonfiction, it's hard work. When I think about it, beyond felt cliches, I had to travel uh, to, uh, to a whole other region, the Arab world, which was great, but it was also, you know, it was a lot because it cost a lot of money. I was very lucky. I got some funding from the Council for Arab-Australian Relations. They fund, they backed my project, so they gave me a bit of money, which was very nice of them, and I, I do acknowledge them to this day for that. And I did have a small advance from the publisher, but at the same time, you know, you're not getting paid like a normal job when you're writing a book. So it's got to be something that you really think has legs and it's, it matters to you enough to do it. And I have no regrets. I am very grateful that I got to experience what I did writing all of these books. But nonfiction is a tricky area because it is of the day. It's It relies on currency and relevancy and, and the zeitgeist and all of that. So, yeah, writing nonfiction, where are you in the story? What's your voice? Why are you writing it and how are you writing it? So get your tone right. Make sure that you you know what kind of book this looks like so that when you are pitching it to publishers or to your agent or to whoever, that you're able to say, oh, well, it's like this, but it's also that. And this is how I think it's going to be. And even if it changes, that's okay. But it shows the people you're speaking to that you have a real sense and investment in what you're doing. What else can I say about nonfiction? I think be prepared for sort of some potential emotional upheaval if the subject matter you're dealing with is difficult. I remember when I was writing Beyond Valve Clichés, and I, I'm going to tell you a funny story. It's, it's a true story. I go to a particular woman for massages once in a while, and she's very healing. She's a very healing woman, but she's also very woo-woo psychic. <laughs> and she always just says things that make me think later, like, wow, how did she know that? And I remember I went to see her when I was writing Beyond Valve Clichés, and she said, well, I don't know what you're writing at the moment, but I see the word shame right across your torso. And... I remember just being stunned and I said to her, well, at the moment, actually, I'm writing the chapter called Shame. That really happened. And I remember she she was just saying, take care of yourself. Whatever you're writing, it's not easy right now. And it was showing in my body. It was showing in my mindset. I'm an empathetic person. I'm a feeling person. And it, it would be almost impossible for me to write a book like that and not finish it feeling a little bit you know, I guess saddened, uh, just really quite emotionally, I don't know how to explain it. I just felt quite despondent and heavy at the end of it because I'd heard so many traumatic stories and also I'd had to go into my own experiences of identity crisis and changes I went through in my life and all of that. And I, I mean, I'm very lucky in my life. I'm not suggesting that I've had a traumatic life, but it's not easy growing up in the diaspora when you're from a particular culture in the West, you know, that has its challenges. And so I had to revisit everything in this book, but also understand better how other people deal with things where they really are genuinely traumatized. Um, so be prepared for that. Fridays with my folks, similar. I I thought I was coasting. I thought it was great. I, I was like, this is this is so inspiring. I'm, I'm talking to carers and I'm talking to family members who, you know, we're all in all in this together and we, we can all relate to each other. And I'm speaking to people who are 
really working to make things better for the elderly and then I just flatlined at some point it wasn't even depression like depression is like when you're feeling down I just felt numb I remember feeling like what's the point of anything because I was hearing these stories of people who had lived such amazing vibrant lives and here they were really struggling in the in sort of the tail end of their lives and once again I went to one of my healer people and she just said well you're going in and interviewing all these people and carrying them with you and not really processing them and you're just finally feeling everything that you've accumulated and that's exactly how it felt it just felt like I hadn't processed anything and I was able to do some things after that, and I'm very big on that, by the way, where you have your practices, whatever works for you, whether it's meditation, if it's a woo-woo ritual, whatever it is, you do it, like yoga, exercise. Make sure that you're checking in with people as well. Talk to people. It's really important. The the activists and the healers and the, the, the humanitarian workers who I interviewed in Beyond Val Clichés, they talked about having counseling all the time they said you know you've got to you've got to stay you've got to keep your integrity and the way you do that is to make sure you're okay because otherwise you're not useful to other people so really take care of yourself if you're writing difficult nonfiction, make sure that you're prepared make sure that you're you're keeping tabs with your own emotional journey because it's not easy and you know i don't i'm not trying to put you off i'm trying to tell you that there's a there's a good way to do it And then there's the bad way to do it. And the bad way to do it is, hey, I've got this. It's all good. And then you just crash. Whereas if you can go in knowing that this is a journey you're going on and that you're going to experience ups and downs and it's it's going to have beautiful moments, but difficult moments, then you'll be right. So that's my nonfiction advice. Research, interview the right people. Don't feel the need to put everyone in your book, by the way. It's really hard. I hate that moment when I realize there's someone I interviewed who I really liked, but they're they're not as useful for my book or I just couldn't work them in somehow. I still try to work them in some way if I can, just just to acknowledge them. But once in a while, it's just not going to happen that you've interviewed someone and they might have given you a great interview, but it just didn't fall into place when it came to writing the book. And that's you have to be okay with that because Beyond Val Clichés, I interviewed like 80 people. I think I couldn't put 80 interviews in the book, but I could use the information I gained from 80 interviews into the book. And that I absolutely think you can do. You can still use sort of whatever people have given you and be general with it. So, you you know, sometimes you pick up on similarities in how people talk about things and you're like, okay, well, quite a few people said this. And so I can, that's one paragraph. It's not specific quotes that I'm going to use, for example. So that's that. Now, in terms of finding your voice, that's probably a whole other episode, if I'm being honest. I I would love to give you more advice on the actual craft of writing nonfiction. At the moment, I'm just giving you some practical tips. If you're interested in an episode on that, then hit me up on amalawa.com. Please send me a note and let me know what you're interested in. I know that there are lots of masterclasses out there and things like that. And sometimes they're not very affordable for people. So I'm more than happy to talk about craft. Just let me know, though, because there's so many aspects to it. But that's when I come back to what I said earlier, which is uh, make sure that you are familiar with the area you're writing in and the style. Be, be really on point with that. It's really important. That's nonfiction. Fiction, totally different. Now, you still have to pitch your fiction book. I think uh, depending where you're at in your career, 
when, and I think I talked about this in the pitching episode, when you pitch a fiction book, you might need to have the book written in a first draft form for your publisher or for your agent so that they can then put it out to publishers because they will want to read at least three chapters of the book to, to get a sense of the tone, the voice, where you're going. And you will need a blurb. You'll need some sort of treatment. A treatment is usually, so if you don't know what a treatment is, I'm sure you you would if you're listening to this, you probably know what a treatment is. Screenwriters use them all the time. Tre- treatments are essentially um, an extended synopsis. So let's just say you'd need a basic synopsis for your pitch document, which is this is the, the working title of the book. This is what the story is. You'd want to include your main characters in that synopsis and what's happening. So what's the overall action of this book. Who is the main character or who are the main characters? What do they want? And why are we going to read this? What's going to happen in this book that's going to be interesting for us? You're not going to give everything away, but you're going to give a hint of it. And then you want to put the best possible sample of your writing. So don't send it too soon. You want to send it when you know this is this is kind of where I think it would be, you know, in terms of tone. This is how I would want to write it. It might change, but in the meantime, this is how I write. What do you think? And see what they think. If you have an agent, ask your agent how much they would need. I think because I was a bit more established, I didn't have that need with my next book, which is The Things We See in the Light. It's a novel. And that's coming out in Australia in September. And I I think you can get it anywhere in the world. But the book is essentially sort of, I guess, carrying on from characters I've written in the past. And so I had some evidence of my ability to write a book because I had self-published two novels so what I actually had was a sample plus two existing books I know there are a lot of fiction writers who are very meticulous about plotting out their stories and I am completely for that if you have the patience to do that what I notice happens to me is that I plot things out very in a very basic way when I try to plot things out in a in a more (laughs) intense deep way I end up getting frustrated because I just want to get started and write. And what I think is really important is to not be afraid of finding out how you work. There are definitely smarter ways to work. And I think that that's something I would really encourage you to find. But I don't think there's only one right way to write a novel. So if you are the type of person who is meticulous and wants to plot every point and is willing to stick to that or even willing to depart from it but just prefers having that do it I I think it's a great thing to do and I think you should have at least a basic idea of the major beats of your of your story so what is really this story about what what's happening in it it's fine if it changes but in the meantime when I begin this story I know that it's about this person showing up here this is happening and that this is going to happen then and I can't tell you some of the changes I've made <laughs> in my novel. It, you wouldn't believe the story, how it changed because of structural edits. So don't be afraid of getting it wrong. It's okay. You, you're finding your story when you write a novel. And that's probably why I'm not too wedded to meticulous dot point beat lists of everything. This has to happen and that has to happen. In the novel, like you, you're writing at least, what, 80,000 words? That's a lot. With a screenplay, it's a bit different. You do need you need to be a bit more specific with your beats. You you don't want to be wasting time with screenwriting. That's another episode though. A novel is different. You've got a lot more freedom. You can write what you want. There are a lot of novels out there that are a bit outside the box. They're a bit different in how they're written. 
more, more power to you as a writer if you can find a new voice, a new way of expressing fiction stories. And I think that's that's not a bad thing at all. What I would say is, though, definitely know your characters when you start writing. You'll get to know them better. But when you're writing fiction, it is a personal experience. As much as nonfiction is daunting, fiction is almost like showing up to a party and not knowing anybody there, right? But you want to have a sense of who's in the room. And I feel that way with my characters. I feel like I know them because I know who they are, but they don't know me. And so there's this awkwardness there sometimes <laughs> when I'm writing because it's like I, I'm almost intruding on their lives. And I, I don't know, my characters feel very real to me. And I, I think that's important to note because I think everybody works differently. But for me what gives me so much joy in writing fiction is it, it feels otherworldly. It feels like I'm stepping into another realm and, you know, I have one foot in with the fairies. It's just not the same as writing nonfiction. You can have those trance moments in nonfiction, you know, where you, you've written for four hours, it feels like one. But with fiction, it's different. It, it's sort of like you're playing with the unknown. You're playing with things that you can go anywhere with fiction almost because it's not real. It's it's untrue, but you're telling the truth with fiction. And so it does have an effect on you, if that makes sense. And, and this is the interesting thing, especially when you come from a minority like I do. I come from a couple of minorities, quote unquote minorities. I'm a diverse writer, which people would often call me. What's interesting about that is how much, you know, people think that that defines how I write. And it's not like that at all. So I think be brave, be willing to expand your awareness of what you are trying to say. Because what I like to tell people is I don't have to be autobiographical in my fiction. I just have to tell the truth. And there is a big difference, right? This is the problem when you're when you're a diverse writer, they think everything that you've written must have happened to you. This is your trauma testament, as one of my fellow writer friends once used that term. I thought it was great, trauma testaments. And really what you are doing as as a storyteller is unpacking life and various meanings and experiences for people and looking for those universal truths so that we can find ourselves and understand ourselves better and connect. And that's really, I think, when, you, when you're writing a story, that's what your job is. It's not to tell people how to live or even explain to people what's happened to you and just fictionalize it because, oh, well, I can't be bothered to write nonfiction. It's that you are trying to find the truth of what you've been through and, and impart that wisdom and that knowledge in some way that's entertaining and creative. So fiction, I would always recommend people give it a try. I think there's a lot of freedom in fiction, but I think it has its challenges for sure. One of the biggest challenges is structure. My biggest challenge in general is structure. <laughs> this is the feedback I always get. This is my problem. I write from character, and so that definitely poses problems with structure. When you write from character, you'll have authentic characters, but you might get a little bit too caught up in how authentic they are and have too much fun with them and not really give them a lot to do sometimes. Whereas if you just write from structure, you're probably going to try to shoehorn your characters into a story just because you love the story so much. You see the problem? So you've got to do both. And it's okay. If you begin with structure, make sure that you make time to get to know your characters. If you begin with characters, make sure you you take the time to build some sort of arc 
or um, storyline for your characters and even if it changes that's fine but you've got to you've got to set them out on a trajectory you've got to give them things to do things to bump up against otherwise you're just spending time with characters because you like writing them on a final note before I forget I might change the name of the podcast to the creatives compass and that's just because I don't know if these are really confessionals and I I kind of wonder if a better name for them for this sort of for the episodes would be the creatives compass it's either that or creative outcasts and that's just because I've always felt like a creative outcast and I think I even have an episode titled that in season one so if you if you've been listening for a while and you have a preference please hit me up amalawa.com just uh, send me a note via the contact form and let me know what you think. I hope that what I have said about writing nonfiction and fiction is helpful to you. One thing I would say about writing both is you are still a storyteller. As I said, make sure there are stakes, make sure there is conflict. And when I say conflict, I don't mean fighting. I mean things that people want that they can't necessarily have easily and that they they are trying to get that they are striving for so even in non-fiction oh my god the conflict and the stakes are so high if not higher than fiction because there are so many things that people are striving for and that's what you're documenting with non-fiction there is a person for example who is aging and their body is starting to let them down but they want a full life and they want to be taken seriously and treated like a first-class citizen, not a second-class citizen, for example. Um, with fiction, you definitely want conflict and stakes. You definitely want a character who is longing for something. And when they get it, that is the end of your story. But you also need them to have an internal need. And that's the same with nonfiction. What we want on the exter- like sort of externally doesn't always match what we need internally. We have an internal world and we have an external world and they... They do affect each other, but they're not always in sync in that sense, right? So that's what your writing should reflect too, that there are people who think that something is going to give them what they need, but really what they need is something else. That's kind of at the heart of all story, really. I think it's very important to remember that. I hope that I have helped you with how you might approach nonfiction versus fiction and be diligent. This is not going to write itself. So if you really want to do this, strap yourself in don't don't do it because you like the idea of it do it because it actually really inspires joy in you to sit down and write you're going to need that trust me because it's not easy being a writer and the process it it is not easy Uh, you know as I've detailed you know the pitching part has its challenges writing definitely has its challenges then then you you still have editing and then you have all these other stages to come as well, let alone it being sent out into the world and not necessarily getting the response you want or all the readers you want. Who hasn't been there? So I hope that helps. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a wonderful week, month. I guess it'll be a month. See you soon. Bye.